0: We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize
0: their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
1: Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round, it's uh, another request from a person who doesn't want to be named. I said I'd only give him a shout-out once, so I guess you've had your shout-out. But it was a really interesting conversation. It's like, why don't you do something on Ip Man, uh, the movie starring Donnie Yen? It's like, oh yeah, that opens up a whole area of something I have talked a little bit around in the past. I did one about Kubra Kai and the Karate Kid, and I talk a bit about martial arts there, but very much from the perspective of how karate was invented in Japan, and I made passing reference to, of course, you have to go to the granddaddy of all of this, China, for Kung Fu and Ip man is a great way into it it allows me to talk obviously about chinese martial arts it also allows me to talk about a period that is much raked over by modern day china more on that later also it gives me a chance to talk about donnie yen which is never a bad thing the man is amazing so i get to talk about cool movies cool bits of history and also some problematic things as well so lots to be getting on with which is what is ultimately a kung Fu flick you know there, there are loads of them out there so if you don't know ipman came out in 2008 and hopefully you've worked out from what i've been saying is this is the name of a person rather than superman batman ipman no, Ip Man, it just to the English language, it's sheer coincidence that his his family name Ip Man sounds like it's something else. So Ip Man was a real person who was born in the 1890s, would live until the 1970s. And what made him famous, if you like, around the world is towards the end of his life, he was teaching Wing Chun, which was his type of martial arts to this young hong kong guy who was trying to absorb it as fast as he could and his name was bruce lee so Ip man is the man who taught bruce lee how to fight which makes him in and of himself awesome but he himself is a really interesting guy and obviously with a movie coming out and indeed there are a bunch of movies that have come out around this You can see how absolutely there is a story to be told there. But is it actually history? That's another thing entirely. So the actual movie when it came out in 2008 was a big hit in China and it got a cult following around the world. Donnie Yen, again, a man who'd already been in the industry, literally he'd started his acting career back in the 80s, but really didn't come to, to sort of fame until the 1990s, I'll tell you what, I'll actually start with a bit about Donnie Yen, and also I can link it to another recent episode, which might encourage you to perhaps go back and listen to that one. As I said, he'd been around as a very young man, back in the 80s. Donnie Yen was born in the 60s, so it's worth remembering that, because jumping forwards to at time of recording his most recent film, John Wick 4, He's 58 whilst filming it, and A, he doesn't look 58, and B, he doesn't move like a 58-year-old man. He is lithe, he is fast, he is supple, and he absolutely, you can believe he can kick ass. He's actually older than the wonderful Keanu Reeves in John Wick. Both of them are guys in their 50s, and yet they're dishing out beatings that you can actually believe. But the thing that really made his name, Donnie Yens, first of all, he himself was, obviously he's got uh, Chinese origins. For a time, his family actually moved to America. So in his teenage years, he was in America and then he moved back to China and Hong Kong later, later on. But it allowed him to obviously pick up English. And so he's completely fluent in English and he's also being, he he understands the Western world, something that Bruce Lee was also trying to get into. But, you know, back in the 1960s, it was much harder to get people's attention when you were an Asian man. You were meant to be exotic. You were meant to be sometimes just outright racist depictions of like the Japanese in World War II. But trying to actually show people, you know, I'm skilled. I can be an actor. I can be a romantic lead if necessary. All that was obviously accepted in things like Hong Kong cinema or Chinese cinema, but it was a hard sell back in the 60s, which led to the rather ridiculous scene. And I encourage you, it is on YouTube for you to see this about Bruce Lee, is Bruce Lee did manage to get some gigs in Hollywood. In fact, He played Kato, who was the right-hand man to the Green Hornet. So actually, Bruce Lee got to play kind of a superhero. Basically, he was the driver for the Green Hornet, and he knew karate, or he knew martial arts. And so the Green Hornet is a DC property, and it was turned into a TV show in the 1960s as a spin-off from the 1960s Adam West Batman. So there is footage... Where Batman, Adam West, is fighting the Green Hornet, and their two sidekicks, Robin, is fighting Bruce Lee, and they kind of fight themselves into a stalemate because these are two heroes, who series of heroes, who sort of fought themselves into a misunderstanding, etc. And so they they can't, well, nobody can win in this situation, but there is. Not a single person on planet Earth that can, including Burt Ward, who played Robin, that seriously believes that Robin would have been able to stand up against Bruce Lee in his prime. Please, I encourage you to to watch that. So the point is that if you're going to show somebody whose Chinese origins Back in the 70s, 80s, etc. They're kind of mystical. Again, it's a horrible cliche. You could argue it's perhaps a more positive cliche than some of the racial stereotypes out there, but it's still a stereotype. It's it's not good. So Donnie Yen has indeed been in a bunch of Western movies. In 2002, for example, there's the excellent sequel Blade 2, where there's this whole group of vampires who are trying to help Blade fight this new type of vampire that was hunting vampires, vampires and one of them is Donnie Yen so he plays a vampire assassin and a sentence doesn't get more cool than that quite frankly and of course as I said that he's in John Wick 4 but also he's been in a Star Wars movie and there's been some great interviews about him if you've seen Rogue One which is an excellent Star Wars film which led to the excellent TV series Andor there is this blind monk that kind of believes in the Force and allows him to do martial arts, and that's Donnie Yen, and he created such an impact, there was sort of conversation like, should we do a spin-off with, with him, because he's amazing. And as soon as you saw it, there'd never been martial arts, specifically in Star Wars movies before, but seeing him saying, I'm one with the Force, and the Force is one with me or words to that effect, as he's beating up stormtroopers, being blind, using a quarterstaff. It's like, yep, that fits perfectly. That does not feel like a stretch at all. But in John Wick 4, he also plays a blind martial arts master. So he's a little bit typecast in the West. But Donnie Yen has been in some great, great films. The one that brought him to the attention of everybody was 1992's Once Upon in China 2, now, Once Upon a China is, again, very loosely based on real history. It stars Jet Li as a real martial arts master who basically shows his martial arts prowess to various different people from around the world to show that China's best, obviously playing very well to the Chinese market. Now, while all of this is kind of true, and indeed there was a fight between his group of martial artists and actually a bunch of japanese judo experts by then that specific martial artist was dying of i think it was tuberculosis and so it's one of these things where did the guy exist was there a fight both the answers to that is yes is anything else in this movie historically accurate no but it is a great martial arts movie and jet lee is one of the greats so Donnie Yen is also an amazing martial artist, so to have the two of them go toe-to-toe with each other in Once Upon a Time in China 2 in 1992, that's what brought everybody's attention to, well, if if, if Donnie can actually keep up with Jet Li, we're on to something here. And indeed, there was an interview, and the two of them were just... The way it works in sort of Chinese cinema is the choreography is kind of done between the two stars, Sometimes, literally on the day, they'll just try stuff out and start filming it and, and see if it works. Very different to the sort of like far more carefully choreographed stuff in the West. And basically, these two guys were going at each other so fast, the film was having difficulty picking up exactly what they were doing. That's how fast those two guys were in their prime. And indeed, both of them have had to slow it down a little bit so they actually look better on film which is an amazing thing to say. Then, the next year, 1993, we get another one. This is sort of like Donnie on his own. We get to Iron Monkey. I think you can tell again, this is clearly a kind of martial arts type movie. Also, I mentioned 2002, he's out in Blade 2, but if you like the definitive, a worldwide love and hit of martial arts movies, a real wuxia film. Wuxia movies are where everybody floats around. It's very surreal martial arts. I mean, people literally leap into the air and just keep going they're basically flying they're basically superheroes and either you like that kind of stuff or you don't but the movie hero again starring jet Li, was a mega smash again very loosely based on some real history about a man who tries to assassinate the first emperor of china and basically there's a big speech at the end where the Jet Li plays the assassin and he is ready to kill the emperor, he gets close to the emperor but then the emperor does a big speech about how China needs a strong ruler to unify all parts of China and he needs to do himself a favour and just walk away because you know, China needs a one party unifying leadership and if you can't see that that's obviously a bit of an analogy for the chinese communist party then shame on you indeed most westerners actually miss that point they're so dazzled by the choreography and the beautiful cinematography that you had quite left leaning newspapers reviewing it and sort of missing that point and it was only sort of discovered about 6 months later but anyway in it there is an amazing black and white fight between jet lee and Donnie Yen and again they sort of remind everybody how basically the two of them are the best in the biz so Donnie has always if you like because of people like Jet Li or Jackie Chan etc Donnie's sort of played second fiddle to some of these other better known names but he everybody who talks about him says he is extremely skilled and so In 2008, he gets to be in this new movie, Ip Man, where everybody's waiting and really excited about him being able to portray such a famous person. As I said, basically Jet Li started that with Once Upon a Time in China, and fast-forwarding basically 20 years, give or take, you then got Donnie Yen doing the same thing with a completely different martial arts master. It was a huge hit. It was critically well-received, and if you like, one of the key things in these movies is is the martial arts up to snuff. It could be the best story ever, but we're in for the action. And again, that's something that John Wick 4 kind of learned from Asian cinema, in the sense that in the West, we tend to have a story, and then occasionally there's action. Whereas in something like Ip Man, or Once Upon a Time in China... There's the action, which is held together by a shoestring story because, really, we're here for the action, which, to be fair, is actually what we were going to all Schwarzenegger's movies for in, in the 1980s and 90s, to be honest. So with John Wick 4, there were a lot of people saying the plot is threadbare, it's really long, etc., and they're right, but you need to look at what it was going for, and if you are going to compare it to the likes of Ip Man, well, the martial arts are amazing, the set pieces are incredible, yeah, the plot's threadbare, but who the hell was watching John Wick for the, the acting or the plot twists? We were there to see him kick ass and take names, basically. And he did that for four movies straight, and it was a beautiful thing, John Wick for, And Donnie Yen reminded the West, is like, yeah, I'm good at this. And we all agreed. So, because it was such a big hit, we go to 2010 with Ip Man 2. And then in 2015, we get Ip Man 3. And this is a weird one because, on the one hand, we are introduced to a young Bruce Lee. So it's like we're clearly going along in Ip Man's life and, and sort of like hitting sort of pivotal moments that we know happened. But on the other hand, one of the co stars of Ip Man 3 was Mike Tyson. And Ip Man never fought a black heavyweight boxing champion. Ever so clearly this stuff is being made up at the same time again you can look on youtube donnie yen was a huge fan of mike tyson sort of growing up and recognizing that he had just as explosive physical power and obviously he's not an actor he can physically knock you down and so to have a sort of a fight scene with tyson donnie yen absolutely loved that and then in 2019 we get Ip man 4 which kind of wraps everything up we got another link there. Scott Adkins is—he's kind of the main foil, the main bad guy. He's basically a Western soldier, a very arrogant, nasty guy who is utterly humbled by Donnie Yen. And Scott Adkins is also in John Wick Four, so there are scenes that, if you like John Wick Four, sort of like connects so many different movies and so many different players around there. So it is, you know, like I say, if you don't want wall to wall action i hear you that's absolutely your choice please for the love of god do not watch john wick 4 but if you like this kind of stuff if you've tuned this into this because you like the punching and kicking then that is almost like the pinnacle of all of that stuff where we are right now in the early 21st century so i've kind of sort of talked around it all i'm sort of like trying to avoid the history because obviously if i start telling you the plot of Ipman. man then is obviously going to go into the history side of things, but I wanted to sort of walk you through, if you like, what a cinematic big deal the Ip Man movies are. And again, they're beautifully choreographed. If you want to learn how to shoot fighting... Watch that film and learn about the techniques and how you get things like the Jason Bourne movies, which are great, I like them, but that was at the height of the sort of shaky cam. And sometimes that was used to sort of cover up someone like Liam Neeson in Taken, because Liam Neeson then was sort of in his early 60s, had no martial arts skills whatsoever, so we got to cut, 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 and wobble, 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 wobble wobble to make it look like Liam Neeson is fast and proficient at martial arts, but if you have somebody skilled like Donnie Yen or Jet Li, you just stick the camera there and they do it. You don't need any trickery to make them look any better. And so, yes, I mean, Matt Damon did train very hard for the Jason Bourne movies, but it is sometimes uh, almost obscured by the editing and filming choices of those fight scenes. The other thing I wanted to say is... I made passing reference early on that Ip Man was a Wing Chun master. Now, I'm going to tell you kind of what that means now, but that will also lead into the history bit in a minute. But Wing Chun is a specifically quite aggressive form of martial art, Kung Fu. It basically is trying to get your fist or foot to the enemy as fast as possible. No sweeping moves, no spin kicks or anything like that. It's almost, I've heard sometimes it's been described, and you certainly see this in the movie, the arms just go straight in to the enemy's torso or head or whatever. It's almost like you've got a spear, and you're just trying to poke, 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 you're just trying to get in there, get in there, get in there. No fancy swirling, whooshing, or anything like that, and obviously if you're going straight in, there's a straight line between you and the enemy it's harder for them to block. You're moving faster in that situation. And obviously, if you're moving into them, if they are starting to suddenly go at you, then you can spread out from that center core part of the body out, left or right, to block them or push down their foot or whatever it may be. It's a very efficient and very hard to master martial art and therefore showing underlining it man's natural skill at this and hard work to actually get there as well but also donnie yen having to do all this stuff so that's if you like it's teetering on the history side of things but now i'm going to tell you exactly who it man was and i will be making reference back to the movie but just before i do that i'm always going to say look if you come to this one because you're a fight fan hello welcome please click subscribe Please give us a review. It all helps to spread the word. And we now do two episodes a week. So grab us on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Check me out on Twitter. Say hello to me. I'm at Jem on Twitter. I love to hear suggestions and get people's thoughts on different episodes. People say, I like that one. Or maybe you could have talked about that area there. I hear you, but these tend to be like 35, 40 minutes, so I sadly I can never cover everything on a topic, but maybe I'll return to some of these topics as well. So, yeah, say hello, click subscribe, do all that good stuff, and I will get on with it. So I'm going to start with Wing Chun again. So to be clear on this one, it doesn't really have much of a history because this is one of the more obscure, if you like, almost more secretive types of martial art. One of the things that got Bruce Lee into hot water with the martial arts community in Asia was the fact that he was teaching any martial arts to white people. It was something basically for china and we shouldn't be doing it anywhere else although other countries as i've already mentioned places like japan and korea have their own martial arts as well taekwondo being the the most famous one from korea other countries in asia had worked out that they needed to have a way to defend yourself without necessarily using a weapon that really hadn't developed very well in the west we had wrestling and we had boxing but that isn't nearly as useful as something like karate or kung fu or whatever so A point on that, it took me a while to work this out. I was into my adulthood when I suddenly realised, or eventually realised, I should say, that martial arts absolutely do have limitations. So, for example, in Taekwondo, it's about kicks and punches. You're not allowed to be grabbing and grappling people. You should never throw people. Whereas in Judo, for example the main thing you do is throw people, use people's weight and momentum against themselves and you go into all of these different types of martial art and weirdly, if the whole point of them is to defend yourself and to lay low the attacker you would imagine that what you should be doing is anything to get that opponent down you know, use an elbow if you have to headbutt them, shoulder barge them kick, punch, etc no, all of them have rules and if you like that was one of the things that Bruce Lee got frustrated with Wing Chun and he ended up creating Jeet Kune Do which means the way of the intercepting fist which he basically looked at All of the martial arts, you know, so it could have been karate, it could have been wing chun, it could have been literally he looked into things like fencing, you know, it's like why do people balance that way when they're using a sword, for example, and boxing. He looked at everything to create something which was, if you like, the most efficient. And this is one of the rare occasions we can say, we know the guy who created that entire way of martial arting. And so, 10 out of 10 to Bruce Lee. And so, if you like, he ultimately took what it Man gave him and evolved it in a way that probably the purists of Wing Chun, not probably, you can say definitely, would have freaked out about because you shouldn't be messing around with these things. But because Wing Chun, back to the, the actual martial art, because it was trained orally, there's no like 500-year-old text that tells us about this. For example, we know that the Shaolin monks existed in the medieval era, people wrote about them, and they seem to have been the starting point for martial arts because as they were monks and took a vow of poverty they wouldn't have either the money or inclination to be walking around with a sword or a bow and arrow or a club with them all the time they basically walked around in their robes and therefore all they had were their legs and arms to defend themselves so that's why they refined kung fu which actually translates as hard work So not necessarily, you know, dragon punch, awesome killer. You'd think it might mean something like that, but no, all of this stuff shows, when you start translating, it seems to be quite practical, most of this stuff. So in the case of Wing Chun, what we can say is, clearly, if Ip Man was born in the 1890s, and he seems to have been starting to learn it around about 1900, or there or thereabouts, and he obviously wasn't the first person to have been taught, best guess is Wing Chun could be like where we are now in the early 21st century, it could be like a couple of hundred years old, something like that. But what was happening in China at that point, and indeed, he was born in Foshan, which is in the Guangdong region of China. Where's Guangdong? If you're not up on your maps of China, like I had to check before recording this podcast, don't worry. It's basically on the south coast. It's very close to Hong Kong, which is why Hong Kong's going to come into the story at some point. So... China at the start of the 20th century was in the middle of what became known as the century of humiliation. This started basically in the 1840s, when, cutting a long story short, which I am going to go into in a lot more depth in another podcast, we have something called the Opium Wars between Britain and China. Keeping it simple, Britain was fed up with the monopoly China had on tea and so because Britain loves tea they decided to start putting loads of cheap opium being grown in India, an imperial possession at that time, to pump it into China so then China would have to buy more opium and which is a really horrible odious thing to say. I guess the technical thing to point out is Opium wasn't actually illegal in China, and secondly, on both occasions of the Opium Wars, the British government and the British army and the British Navy were winning by a country mile. But on both occasions, Parliament basically said we've got we got to stop. And the reasoning was almost unique in the sense it's like, well, this is wrong. You know, we're pumping addictive substances into a country, and they are basically opposed to that. They have a point, but as part of one of the Opium Wars, they were basically given. Hong Kong as a sort of concession, so you can see that for the what was or what had been the epicenter of culture, technology, administrative innovation for centuries to suddenly be brought low by these people from the other side of the planet, you can see why that would start being seen as a period of humiliation then Unfortunately, it doesn't get any better for China, and this is why you get things like once upon a time in China. You're starring Jet Li, that's why I made passing reference to it earlier, because that was a bright moment of like Chinese defiance in a period where endless amounts of rampaging armies from other countries went in. Right now, we tend to think of China and Russia as natural allies. They certainly weren't like that 150 years ago, because as Russia expanded east, they also nibbled away at the fringes of the Chinese empire. In the late 1800s, we get something called the Taipei Rebellion or the Taiping Rebellion. It's sort of pronounced both ways, where basically because of colonial introductions of missionaries, it led to this one man thinking that he was the brother of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up, who created a basically a rebel court to the imperial court that led to this rebellion, which lasted for decades and killed more than 20 million people. It is the second most bloody war ever. It killed about double what World War I did. Now, admittedly, it lasted longer than World War I, but it's a pretty obscure thing. Then we've got the Boxer Rebellion at the beginning of the 20th century, where basically we have multiple armies. We've got the Americans, the Japanese, the Russian, the British, the French, all fighting in Beijing And so it's just one disaster after another. And ultimately, just after the Boxer Rebellion, we actually have the end of the imperial system in China, where we actually get a Chinese Republic, which pretty rapidly descends into civil war, which is then further compounded by the Japanese invading. So... All of this eventually finishes, and then obviously we've got World War II as well, but all of this eventually finishes in 1949 when Mao takes over the whole country, almost, with his Chinese Communist Party. So going all the way back to what I said about hero, if the basic argument is China needs to be held together by one big centralized power... They actually have history on their side, because since 1949, China hasn't been invaded in any serious way by any powers, including the nuclear powers of the Soviet Union or America. So they kind of have a point. That's the only time I'm going to be on their side. And it is definitely the end of this period of interference by these external powers. And therefore, while all of this is happening, we have Ip Man, who's trying to live a life. And basically, he, at the age of 16, he is taken from Foshan because, let's face it, everything's terrible in China. And Hong Kong is generally seen as a sort of. It may have been a British imperial possession, but it was seen as stable, calm, and an important trading post as well. It is worth remembering that that when Britain inherited China, sorry, not inherited China, inherited Hong Kong. It was basically a small fishing village. By the time they left in 1997, it was one of the most important financial centres in the world and had an incredibly well-functioning system of skyscrapers and public transport etc so it is actually an example of a, of a situation where particularly when you want to compare it to what was happening in Maoist China where millions were starving to death or having the cultural revolution leading to rioting in the streets etc by comparison Hong Kong was a little oasis of calm so not everything empires do is in and of itself evil It shows how complicated history can get, all right? So, around about age 16, Ip Man gets to go to school in Hong Kong, and by now he's learning his Wing Chun, and he actually goes to challenge a local master of the martial art, and basically gets roundly beaten up. So he goes a second time, thinking that he's learnt from it, and the second time, he basically ends up with his face in the dirt. And he is very despondent after that, until the news goes round that basically he's fighting the world's greatest martial artist and he was incredibly impressed with the skills that Ip Man had at the age of only 16. So, the two of them start working together and so, if you like, the whole period of this sort of like martial arts learning, enhancing, fighting for China, etc., all of this is obviously in the movie and is the core of the movie. But... Ip Man goes back to Foshan in the 1930s. We're not quite sure what happened to him then. There are various different stories around him, but he starts working for the Kuomintang. Now, before you start going, Chem, please stop laying, you know, Fushong, Guangdong, Kuomintang. You know, it's like, could you, could you please not, Jem? The important thing here, as I mentioned in passing, is there was basically a civil war going on in China. On the one hand, you got the communists, they won, and on the other hand, you got the Nationalists, led by Chiang Kai-shek, and they're called the Kuomintang. So, Ip Man was not on the side of the Communists. Do you think that's in the movie? No, not at all. And indeed, at the end of World War Two, before we get to 1949, so there are a few years after that where there is sort of like continued fighting, we know by now that he is a police officer. This is how he is earning a living if you like he is also still training people in Wing Chun and you would get a fee for doing that but at the same time he's now actually a police officer he has kids he has a wife but then in 1949 with the communist winning if you weren't communist you were in danger and this is why a lot of nationalists fled to Taiwan and that is why to this day Taiwan does not see itself politically as part of China, and why China absolutely sees it as, or the communist China absolutely sees it as basically a breakaway, not not nation, but like territory that needs to be claimed back. I'm not picking sides here, I'm just showing if you like the the problems here about this, and indeed Taiwan in the 21st century is a fully functioning democracy they vote and they do not want the communist powers running them and i think we have to recognize that that's not what they want so what happens is between 49 and 50 is it man sets up back in hong kong he's obviously got connections there and unfortunately at this point because the borders close at exactly the wrong time His family and wife are in communist China and they're not going to be allowed out. And so now he's left in Hong Kong where he falls on hard times. He can't be a police officer. He has not been trained in the Hong Kong series of laws, so he can't do that. So he does earn a living basically teaching people, but he's also doing odd jobs as well. And this is where he becomes, well, we're not quite sure whether it was before this period, but by now he's definitely an opium addict. So even though he's an opium addict, he's still got the wherewithal to be able to train effectively somebody like Bruce Lee in Wing Chun. So all of this is extremely impressive, but basically the rest of his life, he slowly builds a reputation and a very good reputation of being a martial arts master. However, he is constantly blighted with this his addictions, which are hotly contested by some people, but they seem to be a something in the historical record it's one of these things where i'm sorry your hero isn't perfect but who is and this was his flaw it seems and he ends up dying in december of 1972 not bad for a man who'd done all of that in his life and was also an opium addict but it is a sad fact that Eight months later, his protege, Bruce Lee, dies in the summer of 1973. Obviously, this is quite famous just a a couple of weeks before the release of Enter the Dragon. And so, pupil and master die at almost the same time. Such a shame. So there we go. But what the interesting thing is in the movie is all the politically difficult stuff I've just mentioned out the opium addiction, do you think they're going to show opium addiction in something that's sort of being backed by the Communist Party of China? Absolutely not. Now, Donnie Yen, nobody knows what's in the true heart of any any man, but if you need to get a movie made in China, you cannot say anything bad about the Chinese Party. A lot of Jackie Chan fans have real difficulty with how hard Jackie Chan has leaned into the Chinese Communist Party, and Donnie Yin has said similar things as well. Now, like I say, I don't know if he believes them or not. Maybe he is literally a card-carrying communist who understands all the reasons for, you know, all the historical reasons why they need the Chinese Communist Party. Or maybe he's saying it because he needs to make movies, and let's face it, he's spent a fair amount of time in the West as well, doing Western films too. So maybe he's just paying them lip service. Impossible to say, but it's one of these things where Sometimes we have to separate the art from the artist, and there's no doubt that this man is a hard working guy who is extremely skilled at what he does, and he always has the loveliest things to say about the people he works with. He's clearly a good guy, although we may disagree with his politics. So that's what's going on there, but with Ip Man himself, if they actually, if you like, the definitive movie about the real Ip Man has yet to be made. I'd love to see one that shows you the political complexities, the moral complexities that are going on there as well, along with the background of the century of humiliation, plus lots of punching and kicking and hayas. So, you know, I would love to see all of those things, but unfortunately, that's just never going to be made by China. And in America, you're not going to make something about somebody that most people it's very niche most people are not going to hear about but it it's one of these things where i hope it does kind of stimulate you to learn a little bit about the history because what you're seeing on screen is you can tell it's been so jazzed up for the screen that it clearly didn't happen quite that way So with that, I'm going to finish off. I hope you like that. I absolutely recommend that you check out. If you're just going to check out one of them, Ip Man 1 and 2 are just really good martial arts films. Number 3, it starts getting sillier, and by number 4, it becomes quite the propaganda piece to be honest but you know the martial arts are still extremely good in it and you've got lots of Bruce Lee in the fourth one as well so like the two of them fighting injustice together which is an amazing idea which uh, never actually happened sorry about that so yeah one and two are just real stone cold classic Asian cinema martial arts movies I'd thoroughly recommend you give them a go if you want that kind of thing if you're looking for something with more characterization I don't know read Pride and Prejudice uh, and you, you'll absolutely get your thing from that thanks very much and as always another episode coming soon
0: Acast powers the world's best podcasts